I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, November 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, professional health associations work to narrow a divide in health care equity, they say, is a result of structural racism. Then the Army Corps of Engineers seeks support for a proposed flood control project in the South Delta. Plus, a Mississippi native and marijuana cultivator applauds the state's decision to approve medical marijuana. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Public health officials in Mississippi are working to raise awareness about negative effects of racism on care and premature deaths. Following a wave of social activism regarding systemic racism in policing and criminal justice, professional medical associations are hoping to shine a light on how structural racism affects health equity. Dr. Claude Brunson is the executive director of the Mississippi Medical Association. He tells our Desiree Frazier health professionals have recognized this truth for a while now. Racism does play into uh, health inequalities and even more so than, 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 say, biology or ethnicity plays into it. Um, we have long known that there was structural racism that, that existed in, in health care also. And that's why you see people of color um, who have more negative health consequences than our white counterparts. Parts. Uh, it has to do with uh, being impoverished and not having access to health care as much. Uh, it also has to do with not having enough um, health care providers, physicians of color, um, that understands the differences in different ethnicities uh, throughout the population um, and that those um, patients are more comfortable with speaking um, to those professionals about 
um, the health issues, the health illnesses, and some of the social aspects that go into um, keeping them from uh, obtaining and maintaining uh, relative health. And so we've known that for some time, and I think the American Medical Association and a number of the other um, medical associations and hospital associations and other healthcare organizations are just uh, coming out now, especially in the times that we're living, having gone through, to recognize it, speak up about it, and then make plans to, to, to um, do something to address the issue. Your organization and aspects of what you see around the state, can you tell us what structural racism looks like? How do you identify it? I, I guess structural racism in healthcare might be uh, when you look at um, um, people in, in areas where they don't have access to, to healthcare. Uh, if there are no physicians in those areas, they, they're more likely to be in areas where uh, the population is poor. Um, and also it may be that uh, if you don't have enough physicians of color in certain areas, that patients of color, um, especially if they're impoverished, may not have as much access to, to, to come in and see a, a healthcare professional. And so those sort of things would, would add into what we consider to be part of the structural aspects of inequity in healthcare. What do you want Mississippi to do about it? Well, I think I want Mississippi to do what we want. Um, what we want the country to do is start recognizing that there are disparities in healthcare. There are inequalities in healthcare, and once we recognize that, once we own up to it, and then we say we have to do something about it, and once we do that. We know about it. We know how to define it. We know how to find it. And we're going to have an active plan that we want to do something about it. Then we'll go out and we'll start making positive uh, steps and positive moves to actually address it. Uh, we can't have a healthy state if we don't have all of our citizens uh, have the opportunity to be healthy. And that's the collective thing that we all need to commit ourselves to doing, especially the ones of us in healthcare, and especially the ones of us in leadership. And I believe, I do believe firmly that the Mississippi State Medical Association is well aware of this, and we're doing things, and we have started taking more and more progressive moves to make sure that we're making sure our members are aware of it and, and putting out the resources that we need to make sure that um, all Mississippians have access to high-quality health care. So that means probably you would support expanding Medicaid? Well, what we what the, the Medical Association stance has always been that in order to have a healthy population, the easiest way to get access to health care is to, is to have health insurance. Now, there are multiple ways to get access to health insurance, and a number of different states have done it differently. Some is the traditional expansion of Medicaid. There have been other governors uh, across the South that have looked at different ways of doing it. But at the end of the day, if you can get citizens access to health insurance, whatever you call it, whatever mechanism you use, if you can get them access to health insurance, that's the easiest way to get access to health care. And that's what we stand for. 
Well, Dr. Claude Brunson, Mississippi Medical Association, thank you so much for your insight and for your expertise and for what you're doing to educate us and keep us safe. Thank you. Heart health is one area of disparity in Mississippi. 20% more black Mississippians than white die from heart disease. That's according to the state health department. The American Heart Association of Mississippi joined the national office in issuing a statement about the negative effects of structural racism on health and premature deaths. Executive director Jennifer Hopping says the organization is committing more than just words to bridge the health equity gap. Association is committed to go you know, beyond words and really to help accelerate social equity. And we declare that structural racism is a major cause of poor health and premature death. Um, and we know that it's a system in which public policies and practices and other norms, you know, really perpetuate racial group inequity. And so we feel like every person deserves the opportunity to live a full and healthy life. And so we are champions for health equity. And so really, you know, we know that we have to help remove barriers to health care access and quality. So we know as an organization, that's where we need to focus our, our energy, just to really create opportunity for everybody. What are you seeing in Mississippi that concerns you in this regard? Well, I think in Mississippi, as we know, I mean, there's so many issues with access to care across our state, Um, you know, depending on where you live. You know, unfortunately, sometimes your zip code can be more of an issue for your health than your genetic code. And so, you know, we know that in certain parts of our state, access to health care, access to healthy foods, you know, access to Um, you know, resources is limited in some parts of our state. And so our goal is really to help overcome some of those barriers and work with partners to really try to kind of equal out, um, you know, opportunity for our whole state. Would you want to see Medicaid expanded in Mississippi? So the Heart Association is in support of Medicaid expansion, yes, because we know that health access is so important. And so as an organization, yes, we are in support of Medicaid expansion. Well, Jennifer Hopping with the American Heart Association, thank you so much for your time and speaking about this important issue and bringing more attention to it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Desiree. I appreciate you reaching out to us. Hopping also says at the state level, they're lobbying legislators to increase SNAP benefits for fruits and vegetables and urging officials to equip schools with water bottle filling stations because some communities don't have clean water. Coming up, the Army Corps of Engineers seeks support for a proposed flood control project in the South Delta. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Leaders at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers are asking Mississippians to support a proposed flood control project that would pump water from parts of the South Delta. Today is the final day of the federally mandated public comment period for the project that would ease flooding caused by the Yazoo backwater. Colonel Rob Hilliard of the USACE tells our Ashley Norwood the science indicates the status quo is no longer viable. There were calls not only from uh, local citizens, but also from the Mississippi congressional delegation um, to relook uh, at the backwater area. And so in, in the spring of 2020, Congress provided us um, funding uh, through our work plan specifically to uh, look at the environmental impacts Given the new data that we have and the new fundamental understanding that we have of the area, to look at the environmental impacts that the pumps would have on the backwater. You know, the data that we have now shows us that we do have a fundamentally better understanding of the area. In fact, now we understand um, from the wells that we've been monitoring over that decade that precipitation, annual precipitation that the backwater area sees really sustains nearly 90% of the wetlands out there. Where at one time in the past, we uh, thought that overbank flooding was sustaining those wetlands. But now we understand that it is annual precipitation. And so understanding that really helps us better understand the area as a whole. And so given that data and the funding from Congress uh, throughout this year, we have looked at the environmental impacts uh, that the pump would have on the area. What are you hoping to get from the public comment period? Well, the public comment period is part of the NEPA process, and so the the National Environmental Policy Act, Um, and so that is part of the transparency process. And so we put our draft um, supplemental environmental impact statement out uh, for public review, and that's a 45-day public review. And that's to give not only the public but other coordinating agencies, such as the EPA and Fish and Wildlife, a chance to read through our draft document to understand the science, uh, understand the engineering, and then either ask questions or make comments uh, that either think that they support or things that they would like for us to take um, a more in-depth look at. Uh, And so that's why it's called the public comment period. We invite the public to respond um, to the science that we put out there, and that's really what we're asking. And we say, what are we hoping for from this public comment period? It's really that whether you've supported the pump projects in the past or whether you've been against it, is that you would read the science. You know, we have really some of the best scientists and engineers in the world between the Vicksburg District and the Engineer Research and Development Center working on this project. And so we're asking that, you know, before you make a decision one way or the other, read this draft SCIS. Understand the science, understand the engineering, and then make a decision based on that. Right, because you do have some who think that the pumps are not good for the environment. How would you address that? Sure. I mean, there have certainly been people and organizations on both sides uh, of this project. And so what I would say to that is, first, look at the flooding over the last couple of years. You know, not only has that severe flooding had an impact on people uh, and people's livelihoods, but also on wildlife. Uh, also on fisheries, also on uh, aquatic plants and trees. And so this severe flooding, and, and when we talk about water, 
in 2019, the stagnant water that was in place for roughly six months uh, had a detrimental effect on the in, entire area. And so we know that in that sense, that status quo is, is really not sustainable. And so what we urge people uh, to do is, again, understand the science, understand the engineering, and, and quite frankly, what we show in the draft EIS is that the operation of the pumps will actually not convert any wetlands into not wetland into non-wetlands. I just want to say that again, right, that the, the operation of the pumps won't convert any wetlands to non-wetlands. And through an adaptive management plan, the pumps actually do bring a balance for the benefit of the entire backwater area. So let's say um, the pumps, the project itself moves forward. Can you tell me a little bit about the timeline? When, when should we expect to see something or the developments? When you talk about a pump project this size, it, it's going to take quite some time from the time that it is a, a record of decision on the books, uh, then forward to appropriations from Congress, to move forward to planning, engineering, what we call planning, engineering, and design. You know, a, a project this size is not just pulled off the shelf. Um, these, a pump station like this would be very specifically designed, uh, and then the pumps specifically built for this project. Uh, and so all of that does take time. And so what we caution um, people is that understand that it may take you know, several years from where we are now until you would see uh, the construction. Um, and that's just, in fact, that's just a reality because these things are one of a kind. Now, Colonel, is there something I didn't ask you about the project, about the process, about the public comment period that you think is important to address? Yeah, I think it's important that the NEPA process is about transparency. I would urge everyone, read the document. It's on our website uh, at the Vicksburg District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. You can download it. Read it and understand the science and engineering. We hear a lot about that uh, this year about, hey, follow the science. And this is no different. The status quo is not working. And so we need to move forward in a way that best works for the environment and the people and balances those two. And I think the, the proposal that we push forward at this point meets those two. All right. Colonel Robert Hilliard, again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Well, thank you for your interest. I, I certainly appreciate it. Coming up, a Mississippi native and marijuana cultivator applauds the state's decision to approve medical marijuana. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Happy Holidays from Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. 
Felix Murray is a cultivator, a native of Rowing Fork. The Alcorn State graduate left Mississippi for Atlanta, building a career in the entertainment industry before making his way to the West Coast. There he saw the green rush coming and invested in medical marijuana cultivation in Oregon. Now, after the approval of medical marijuana in his home state, the CEO of Gas House Cannabis says he sees an opportunity to bring the business home. He shares more of his story with our Michael Guidry. I am licensed to produce uh, the cannabis plant, dried flowers. So it's, you know, it's, it's a fancy term for a grower. Um, and so, yes, I, I, I grow it from, from start to finish all the way to uh, curation and then, then on to the retail space. So Gas House, essentially, you say it's a cultivator, you grow marijuana, um, and, and you mentioned from, from beginning to curation. How long does that process take? And, um, I mean, is this a small-scale, large-scale kind of thing? Uh, is it farm, indoor? How does that work? Yeah, it's a pretty large scale. Yeah, we have uh, indoor cultivations as well as uh, greenhouse cultivations. And typically, uh, the, the life cycle of the cannabis plant, the way that we produce this, uh, about three months uh, before the product is cured, then it's packaged, and then it is delivered. You know, it's it's, it's almost like I like to compare it to like Coca-Cola and Budweiser because that makes it simple. You know, it goes on the Coca-Cola truck, and then you have a route that you go to, and you drop it off at those locations and stuff. So that's pretty much a simple way for how the process works. You know, product has to go to testing uh, after, you know, you finish curing product. It goes to testing, and then it goes to packaging. And since you are a provider, um, you work with retailers. Do you work, you know, statewide within the state of California? Is there any interstate? Are you licensed to do any interstate commerce with uh, uh, neighboring states or anything like that? How, how kind of what's your reach? Uh, yeah. well, well, right now I'm in five different states. Each state operates independently, so I'm all over the state of California. Um, we're in Oregon. We're in Washington. We are in just releasing in Colorado. And we are in uh, Michigan, and we'll be releasing in Illinois very soon. How did you decide to get involved in this? And did it start with recreational marijuana cultivation? or um... uh, It did not. Uh, um, it started with medical. Uh, I just wanted to help people. I wanted to help <clears throat> sick people, uh, sick children. Uh, that's how I initially got into a, uh, you know, cannabis business in Oregon, producing a medical-grade product. Mississippi became the 35th state to, to legalize medical marijuana. So what what is your response to that, knowing that you left the state, you started cultivation because you say you wanted to help people? What do you think about Mississippi legalizing medical marijuana? I think it's a great step for the state. I'm proud of the citizens of Mississippi taking that step and voting to pass that initiative. Um, it's going to help the residents, you know, dealing with their illness first, but a byproduct of, you know, helping people to feel better or managing whatever um, situation they may have going on, it'll be good fi- financial situation for people in the great state of Mississippi. So, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. It has me looking like, hey, maybe I could go home sometime, you know, so. Now with this door open, do you see yourself joining the industry here in Mississippi? Well, definitely. You know, we'd love to come home and help people, you know, out and bring some of the knowledge that I've acquired, you know, in this business home. Um, I've been talking to several people, you know, from the state of Mississippi already. So, yeah, I, I definitely would come home. I, I'd love, love to come home and, and do it. 
you know, from, from someone who has been part of other programs, uh, what would you like to see implemented in the program here in Mississippi that you think would make it successful? Um, what I would like to see implemented, I would like to see Mississippi inclusive. Uh, I don't want Mississippi to do what I've, I've seen other states do, uh, put it out of reach for the common man. Make it where you, hey, you got to bring a, a million bucks, two million bucks, you know, just to even apply for a license or, you know, charge somebody 100000 or 50000 non-refundable fee like I see so many other states do. You know, I wanted to get a, the citizens a chance to participate in the program and not create a monopoly for five or six large companies. I just I pray that they don't do that. For someone who who got their start in this, um, and you say it's a large scale, you, you know, it's a pretty large scale operation now. Did it start large scale for you, or it did not? You know, we started out um, growing in greenhouses that we built ourselves. So, um, at the point when I started, it wasn't as competitive now. Uh, now you know you have state of the art greenhouses, state of the art indoors that cost millions of dollars to build. So. It's kind of a it's a different situation from just uh, only a few years ago. It's a short it's a short time and years, but just the industry moves so fast. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, as a as a cultivator who's kind of on the outside looking in at his home state, are there any other thoughts you have that I haven't asked you about um, about the you know the future for medical marijuana in Mississippi? Um, like I said, I just wanted to be inclusive. Uh, I would like to see. Um, the elements, the list, I would like to see it expanded. You know, I would like to see it for chronic pain. Uh, uh, myself, you know, I was a medical marijuana patient myself. I had chronic back pain, you know, and so that helped me manage my situation. So I, I would like to see them increase the list of things that you can actually uh, participate in the medical marijuana program for. Well, Felix Murray, CEO of Gas House Cannabis, we, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Maybe we'll see you back home sometime. Hey, good talking to you guys, all right? Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.